Welcome to Stories with Drinks, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from your favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. And I'm Tyler, he, his, him. And we are ending this month with an actual kind of romantic story, but nothing can just be that simple with us, so we have a twist. We're getting a little spooky with it, and maybe even a little haunted with it we are going back to a franchise that is we personally love a lot and very enjoyed um and we are headed off to the blind manor in england absolutely we are and they say that if you hold the spooky season in your heart year-round it can be spooky wherever you are spooky wherever and i was re-watching this recently and kind of thinking of what a good get-to-know-you question would be. And there's a common theme in the Bly Manor, the fact that, you know, two children are the primary focus. And one has a dollhouse and one has dolls, which made me think of the question, Tyler, what do you think is the creepiest childhood toy? Oh, the creepiest childhood toy. I mean, it depends on whose childhood you're talking about, I guess. Like, if you okay, in general like, and yours. Board, <laughs> I mean, just in general, I do think porcelain dolls are really, really creepy. But those aren't really kids' toys; those are more, more like collectibles, right? Mm-hmm. Like, those aren't toys. I had so, porcelain dolls. Never played with them. They just sat yeah. on the shelf. Shelf. So. And they're creepy. They, mm-hmm. they stare at you with their blank, with their blank eyes, like a doll's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a Jaws reference for for all of our people who are under the age of, I would say, probably thirty. But if I had to say from my own childhood, what do I think was really creepy? I think, I have a hard time actually pinning it down because the one that comes to mind for me uh, is, uh, this is like, we're gonna have to take you you back on a journey into imagination. Um, No, uh, we're going to, uh, like I was probably, five or six i still have this toy but i was really little when i got it and it was like my teddy bear right like mm-hmm. my, my my dude my guy um, my teddy bear's name was barney because i was really into a certain purple dinosaur at the mm-hmm. time when i got this teddy bear this teddy bear was not purple does did not look like like the uh the large purple gentleman that loves <laughs> you and me but actually was like a teddy bear but like a fisher pricey kind of cartoony looking teddy bear not like what you would imagine like a classic looking one is and this this poor bear has been repaired and washed and eyes repainted on more times than i can count and there was a time in my childhood where that was like the last time i carried that bear around right and then he ended up like chilling out on a shelf for the rest of my childhood he's still there back in my home my hometown just chilling on a bookshelf but like there was a part of me, and this is again like the you, this is how you know kids are empathic, I guess. Which is like, there was a part of me that was like, I don't play with him anymore. He's gonna be sad. He's gonna be upset. He's gonna mm-hmm. be hurt that, that we don't hang out anymore. And then you know, what if he is mad at me, and that kind of a thing? And so he's just staring at me from the shelf, just mad at me. And so like that kind of creeped me out in a in a different way than like a porcelain doll would in just a way of like what what if I hurt this this poor inanimate object's feelings? We were all deeply affected by the movie Toy Story, and yep, toys come to life when we leave them on a shelf and we hurt their feelings, (laughs) and they are going to to hurt us. (laughs) 
yeah, a very dark version of Toy Story. Right. Um, but I think that would be my answer from my childhood. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jen? Um, I did have porcelain dolls growing up and I, I wasn't creeped out by them, um, which I think says a lot just about me in general. But I think classic creepy toys from my generation, what me and my friends used to do to Furbies Furbies are creepy. They are creepy toys. They are creepy toys, and we would destroy them and make them say really weird and creepy things. So that didn't help. Um, I'm trying to think if there was something specific other than like a classic like that. Um, To me, thing like toys never really have like a creepy aspect. Like I loved my dollhouse, and I had porcelain dolls and whatnot. Um, but like any kind of mannequin figure creeped me out. Like even like, like I would even say like marionettes would be in that category of doll creepy. Um, but I remember like there was at this one restaurant we ate at, there was this, it was kind of like old fashioned looking clown, but not a clown kind of dude statue that. Uh, would blow up balloons it was like their helium oh, tank yeah 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 i know what you're talking about yeah yeah scared the living shit out of me <laughs> same yeah same yep same could not go near that thing um but any kind of little humanoid like marionette kind of figurine would creep me out <laughs> sure sure yes. stuff that's human shaped but not human yes yeah absolutely so and i think they do a good job with all the different dolls in the show because you get that visceral like that thing can fit in my hand like the um the lake ladies doll Mm -hmm. with no face and just whitewashed and the mouth opened out is a creepy looking doll Mm -hmm. all the dolls are creepy looking yes and then i was watching the episode with the uh when they go down into the basement and they have all the dolls sitting in the corner and one's an actual ghost and that's fantastic that doesn't haunt us a little bit so toys right childhood toys i mean mean, yeah i mean the haunted thing one of them's the ghost i mean like that is my favorite thing about this series that there's like hidden ghosts in the background almost every single scene has a hidden ghost in the background i think so good um and uh yeah I, i i'm looking forward to whatever Mr. Flanagan will be bringing us in the future. Uh, Love his stuff so much. So good. Well, with that, Mm -hmm. let's let's take a journey. And Tyler, I do believe you have a new client. I do. My client is uh, in his 30s. He's a cisgender male, heterosexual, Indian British. He is a chef and his name is Owen. I am talking to owen primarily about grief uh so if you were listening to the last episode we're gonna tread some familiar ground here uh about how i work with grief but specifically with him how complicated his experience of grief is in particular so he tells me that he was going off to france and learning how to be a chef at the hands of some of the best chefs in the world and then got a call that his mom was sick and that he needed to come back and take care of her. So he returns to Bly Manor and the area surrounding to take care of his mom at night and serve as the cook for a household during the day. And he 
shared a lot of really lovely stories about this time where he met some of the other people who worked there. He met the kids he was really taking care of there because the parents were kind of gone. Uh, you know, fun come to find out later that they were gone, gone, not just gone, but uh, so taking care of these children and doing so with the rest of the staff at the manor. And then at night going home and being a caretaker to his mom. And so the first thing I would bring up with that conversation is just like, you must have been so burned out. And he probably would play it off with a joke or a pun. Uh, he really likes to do that. But then it would be about, no, you actually really sounds like you were probably burnt out. You were taking care of everybody else except for you. When did you get your time to take care of you? And exploring for him how he probably would say, you know, taking care of others was taking care of me in that moment. And then getting to do the little back and forth of, yes, just because we like to take care of people doesn't mean it doesn't cost energy. Uh, because it does. And as a therapist, it's something I'm very keenly aware about. Because I love taking care of people. It's my freaking job. But also, it's exhausting. And I would probably say that exact sentence to him and just like be like, no, I get it. It's, it's amazing, incredible, really fulfilling work. And it's so exhausting. And you don't get time for your own life. And then as he's telling me the stories of his time in this manner and saying, you know, what, what from that time do you really wish you could do differently? If you had had more emotional space, what do you think would be different? And that's where we'd start diving into some other grief as well. As he talks about one of the other people who were at the manor with him, uh, Hannah, and their relationship and growing close with her, and then her experiencing an untimely death, and him having to process that, and then processing the loss of his mother as well, and experiencing these two major griefs back to back. And how do you move forward from that? Because I think that's the question that most people end up landing on with grief work is, how, what do I do now? What's next? How can I keep going on? And the simple answer is, you, you just do it one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. Sometimes it feels like you're walking through waist-deep mud. Other days it feels like you're walking on sand. Some days it feels like you're walking on a sidewalk, and it's easy. But most of the time, especially at the beginning, it's that through the mud part where it feels like it's forever. Every step is agonizing. But you just keep going. And really going for him and tell, asking him sort of what for you is keeping you going at the moment? What, what is keeping you moving with these two losses? And him explaining that one of Hannah's jobs at the manor was to light candles uh, in the little chapel that they had there. And once she passed, he took over that responsibility for a short time. And for him, it was his way of honoring her and moving forward with the memory of her, knowing that her memory would be free to move on to whatever's next after this life. And talking to him about what does spirituality mean to you? What have you experienced that feels supernatural? which is an interesting question coming from a medical professional, I think, always. 
but I love talking about spirituality with people both in and out of the therapy room because it's such a personal thing. And everyone has experiences, maybe not everyone, but a lot of us have experiences that we can't quite explain. Uh, and to hear him tell this story of like, oh, you're going to go there. Okay. I'll tell you what happened and hearing the real story about how he saw visions of Hannah after she had passed. And he saw that when, uh, some, when this accident with the woman drowning on the property of the manor, he knew that Hannah was freed at that point. And he was able to share for him his experience of these supernatural events that he's like, everybody else would just think I'm crazy. And to have me validate and go, it's your experience of reality. Whether it's real or not, doesn't matter. It was real to you. And that's, I think, the real power of being a therapist who practice postmodern theory, which is the, the main idea being we all create our own reality. What's reality for you and reality for me are going to be different no matter what. But if I try to subscribe to only my reality and push it onto you, that's not therapeutic. It's actually kind of dangerous. Uh, and the thing that I think is where a lot of people would go is like, he's telling you all these supernatural things that seem like he was having hallucinations and things like that. What if he's experiencing psychosis? And I would say it's possible. It's also possible he's experiencing an intense amount of grief. We'll keep an eye on it. I'm not going to totally discredit that and be like, you know, oh yeah, everybody who has hallucinations is psychotic. That's what's happening, right? First of all, that's not the way to talk about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the other thing to say is that like, we all have some form of hallucinatory experiences. It's the other really weird thing. Uh, my favorite example of this, I was just talking to somebody about this not that long ago, uh, is have you ever had your phone in your pocket and you feel it vibrate, but there's no notification? That's a hallucination. You just or your phone's not even in your pocket. <laughs> or your phone's not even in your pocket. That's a hallucination. And so to say like everyone who has hallucinations is experiencing psychosis is like so wrong. There's a normative level, right? And really it goes down to the one di diagnostic criteria that's on every single diagnosis in the DSM. Is it impacting functioning? And for him, it's not. It was something that helped him to process this grief. He's no longer having any experiences that he can share. And really all he wants to know is what do I do now? And so I would, you know, he asks, he would ask me that question and I would do something that frustrates a lot of my clients and ask it back to him. Mm -hmm. You know, what do I do now? I don't know. Owen, what do you do now? It's like, I, I'm not sure. Okay, what have you always wanted to do? You put a lot of your life on hold to go take care of these people. Your life is yours again. Not in a way that you would have liked, but what do you want? What have you always wanted to do? And being like, well, I think maybe I'd like to open up a restaurant. Awesome. Let's talk about that. And so slowly shifting this talk about grief into a form of accepting and then going, what, what's next? Okay, we're going to do this next step. How can we honor those that have passed in that next step? Is there a recipe that your mom really liked that we can put on the menu? Is there something you cooked for Hannah that was special to you that you could throw up on the menu? And 
he would, you know, I think he'd eventually get to a point where he could say, yeah, this is what I'm building with the plaster and mortar that is my green. And it's not to say that you should use distractions to step away from grief, but it's a way of incorporating it into your life. I think whenever we talk about grief, the thing that, that I always bring up is that it doesn't really go away. Uh, and so the more you fight it, the more you don't allow yourself to feel it, the harder it is to just accept it into your life as a, yeah, this is going to hurt from now. And some days it'll hurt less, and some days it'll hurt more. And that's normal. That's human. Grief is a totally normal human experience. It's also one that we don't really like a whole lot. But it also has its purpose. And its purpose is to be like, yeah, that person was important to you, or that event was important to you, that time was important to you. Now how do you honor it? And for him, I think it would be, you know, items on the menu at his restaurant. A way that when he's cooking, he can remember those people every single day. So that's over. That's what I got. Absolutely. And yes, it's so often people are like, you know, I just want to distract and not feel our grief. And yet that's, we have to, we have to feel it or it gets too big. And then it's no longer about distracting. It's just present all the time in a negative way but if we allow those moments as we feel them and happen and move with them we can work through grief so Tyler why Owen yeah good question because I Mm -hmm. jumped on Owen you jumped on that so fast (laughs) I I mean he's one of the few characters who is not a supernatural entity by the end of this of the show very true there's, there's like a handful mm-hmm. <laughs> and i didn't want to do either of the kids uh the of uh, the only other one that i was like ah it would be kind of interesting is the gardener um and i can't remember her name off the top of my head. her name's jamie <laughs> jamie thank you Jamie would have been an interesting one as well and it's a lot of the same topic right it's grief over the loss of a loved one because they were taken by this supernatural experience. Yeah. Um, I I ended up I ended on Owen mostly because there's a part of me that really identifies with him. He's empathic. He is caring for others. He is quick with a joke when he need, he sees that other people need to be lit, like lit up. Tyler also loves with food. Also, and I heals love with, with food. food. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. he's a really good cook. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Um, so I, there's a lot about that character that I think just speaks to me on a very personal level. Uh, and again, like we all have experience of loss in some way. Um, it's part of the you know the emotional scars that we all kind of start gathering as we age is loss, and how do you process loss in a way that's meaningful to you is the big question I think for a lot of us out there. So I wanted to bring that particular question forward of what do you do next? What's next? Well, it's just like you put your foot in front of the other foot and you keep moving and eventually you get to the place where you get to Mm -hmm. and you can choose to fight grief that whole way 
it's going to take a lot longer. You're going to be a lot more tired by the time you get there. Or you can walk with grief at your side and try to understand it, try to understand yourself in a way that makes it meaningful. So that's why. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back soon with more stories with drinks. Hey y'all, this is Jennifer. We wanted to reach out and let you all know that we are on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stories with Shrinks and on Twitter, Shrink Stories. We post before episodes, little sneak peeks about what we're talking about and trying to engage more with our community about the topic. You can find that and join the story with us online. Welcome back to Stories with Shrinks. We're talking about Bly Manor. I just wrapped up talking about Owen. And we are now going to move on to you, Jen, because I believe you also have a new client. I do. I am working with someone, actually not in England. We are in Vermont. And we are um, meeting in upper Vermont area. And she is a female, identifies as lesbian and female presenting, coming in to talk about caregiver burnout and stress. I am talking to Jamie Taylor. Hey. Yes. I was like, don't talk too much about her, Tyler. That's my territory. <laughs> but yes, we are talking about caregiver stress. She's coming in because lately she's been feeling overwhelmed and burnt out and not wanting to resent or feel guilty of kind of the pressure she's been under due to what she describes as her partner's cognitive degeneration and not really sure what's going on on that end I have talked to her about like is her partner like needing help receiving medical services is she in need of anything and they say that they have everything covered and they they have a a good grasp on the situation it's just hard watching her partner mentally deteriorate and not kind of knowing what to do but having to be there to care for her and afraid of the potential loss that it will eventually succumb to And when working with her, we would definitely be talking about her overall story and a theme of caregiving throughout her whole life. She described having to care for her brother as a child until she was put into the foster care system and kind of never feeling like she was good enough and never really deserving of love and a stable relationship. So then when we cut to so many years into the future, after finally having found someone who she loves and can be with and even though during the the time in the era being with in a way that may not be completely fulfilled but to all extents of purposes her married partner she's losing and it's bringing up that core belief again of not being able to be worthy or deserving of a true love story And why can't love just come easy to me? Why can't I just be allowed to be happy? And she doesn't want to get to a point where she does resent her partner for what she's going through and also needs to start taking care of herself. So we're going to talk about the reality of caregiver burnout and caregiver stress. And what is it like to be working the nine to five and coming home and being put into a caregiver role? 
how can we provide you two with your partnership and your romantic story when things are good and she's mentally able to handle that? And then how do we take care of you while you're taking care of her during moments where she's mentally needing more help, where she might need a little bit more TLC and patience and compassion when you're tired, when you've already had a full day. And this is something that I do work with and enjoy working with is caregivers because they don't often get a chance to be cared for and giving her the opportunity to have that space to not have to be in care of someone else for even just 15 minutes to an hour can be so powerful. And talking to her about the themes of guilt and resentment and shame of needing a break. So often we, we throw ourselves into that caregiver role because we do love the partner. We do love the friend or the family member and we wanna be there and provide for them. And we also have to provide for ourselves. And we sometimes feel guilty for doing so. How can I have a good day when they are struggling so much? How can I be okay when they're not okay? And sometimes also when they're not okay, I'm not okay. How do I do that? How do I show up for them when it's really hard to show up for myself sometimes? And we would start talking about one, that core belief of I'm undeserving and how that plays a role in this dialogue, how our decisions and our automatic thoughts are being filtered through a lens of I'm undeserving and how that changes the outcomes of our feelings and behaviors and emotions afterwards. Being able to start to kind of look at what these thoughts are doing to us and how they have played a role in our overall narrative throughout life and how we view ourselves and how we view relationships and then how we can take that and find new authorship with it. But then also the practical end of what are your needs during the day? As she struggles more, as her partner struggles more with her mental health and mental deterioration on a cognitive level, not just like on an emotional level, but on the cognitive level, what are your needs practically? Do you have those resources? Do you have what you need to take care of her? And if not, let's get you those resources. And that could be reconnecting with people of your past. Who are your team of people? You can't go this alone. So for instance, talking about her friend from the past, Owen, have you reached out? Have you talked to them recently? Have you told them what's going on just so that you're not alone in your story anymore? Other people are there to help support you, even if it's just through a phone call once a week to talk about what's happening in our lives. Be able to tell your story to someone. Get her connected with support groups for loved ones of care, caregivers for loved ones and partners to be able to connect her with other people who are going through a like-minded experience and what that is to watch someone you love kind of mentally deteriorate. I would kind of describe it for this sense, it's a very supernatural process and I could probably real life kind of compare it to like the dementia, Alzheimer's framework of what it's like to lose someone, lose themselves mentally and give her those resources and those tools. So she knows she's not alone in this process and make sure she has support systems that would allow her to go out and about and take care of basic errands without worrying about what 
her partner's doing at home. So do you have someone, if it got really bad one day that could come sit with your partner for an hour or so while you go to the grocery store, take a shower, take care of yourself, come to the session. And you don't have to do that worrying and having the back of your mind go, well, what if she wanders? What if she leaves the house? What if she hurts herself by accident? Because that's so often where our thoughts go as caregivers is if I step out to take care of me, what happens if something happens to them? I couldn't live with that guilt. You're right, you probably couldn't and that's okay. So let's build a support team around you so that you don't have to face that guilt. And if it comes down to it, we already have a support team around us that can help us grieve. So that if something bad were to happen one day, you're not alone in that story when it happens. You already have a network of people and resources there to then care for you, which I think would be the second part of the narrative is how do we let others care for us when we're caregivers? How do we let others in, especially for her personally, would be really hard given everything she's gone through and taking account of like the error that we would be talking in. This would be probably mid nineties timeframe letting people into their relationship would also be something that would be very sacred and very important to kind of honor because of the dynamics of the LGBTQ community in the nineties and making sure that they feel safe to let people in and be a part of the relationship dynamic and making sure that they're doing so with an LGBTQ affirming mindset as I give them these resources and making sure they're not going to be placed in um, situations where they're getting rejected for healthcare rights and rejected for legality purposes of resources. Um, so being mindful of what I'm talking about, maybe in a modern sense, we would have a lot more access and resources to, but back then, not so much and making sure that there are actual resources to provide for them that they would have access where she could help make medical decisions for her partner, which would be really hard to find during that era of time. And allowing that dialogue in the room as well and talking about what it's been like for her coming out process and finding this partnership and what it's like for them navigating the world together and what it's like to now lose someone that you were able to actually be truly in love with and be authentic with and watching them slip away mentally before they go physically is really hard. Um, watching someone mentally deteriorate, I think is harder sometimes than like just the old age process of end of life care. Cause you feel like you're losing time that you should have been able to have and giving that authentic space in the room for her to just be. And something that I always talk about in like consultation or supervision or just with clients of sometimes caregiver life is also really noisy. So what would it be like? Do you just need like five minutes of quiet? <laughs> just, you get to just be, and maybe we listen to a meditation. Maybe we, don't make any decisions for the next five minutes or 
answer questions because so much of being a caregiver is constantly having to make the decisions, constantly having to answer the questions for people, constantly putting yourself in that leadership role of, hey, right now, would you just like to not do that? And let's just maybe like listen to a quick meditation, body scan, here and now work. What do we need? And give her a chance to slow down again. And something that I use a lot with clients that I think she would particularly latch onto is I do use a gardening metaphor a lot. Uh, we, you love to garden. Your business is with flowers. Gardening has been a self-care tool. It's been a coping skill. It's been a survival skill throughout your life. What if we looked at our mental health as our own personal garden? What are we doing to take care of the seeds and the plants and the flowers? How are we helping them grow? What fencing do we have to put up? Those are our boundaries. What rules dictate who's allowed in the garden, who's not? What happens when a tornado comes through? How do we repair? And using that as a metaphor and a language for her to then build her own toolbox on and giving her even like walk and talk therapy. Let's go out to the garden. Let's plant while we talk. Let's get into the dirt of things, metaphorically and physically. So giving her a chance to not have to be a caregiver for a while, once a week, while she cares for her partner, Danny. Right? Yes. Cool. <laughs> so yes, that is our time with Jamie and what we would be working on together. Not really a follow-up question, more so than just a follow-up thought of... Mm -hmm. You know, we both brought in people that are caretaking for others and it made me think of you know the last two years of unpleasantness if mm -hmm. you can at least say that without getting uh, sponsors running for the pills uh mm -hmm. you know it we've all been taking care of people in our lives for a long time now uh, it's not just therapists it's not just healthcare professionals it's everyone mm -hmm. um, and the burnout and the associated emotional not greatness of that kind of hit me as you were talking about this how it's been for the last couple of years uh, yeah. and how we talk to clients about that all that kind of stuff yeah it's just it, it really hit me uh mm -hmm. during that time not in a way that's emotional but in a way it's just like yeah it's, it's been rough <laughs> it's been rough right and so often we don't as in the like in the mental health world as therapists we would commonly classify ourselves as the caregiver type and we might throw ourselves into that role in our families or in our friendships and so often we do forget to ask who's caring for us during these times you know earlier in the in the experiences that we've all been experiencing in these past two years i commonly talk to my clients about you know i'm experiencing this with you and I'm going through this with you and I don't understand it either. And I'm burnt out from it too. So let's just be here together and figure this out together for a little bit as we switch over to telehealth the week after everything happened and we're going to get through this, but it's going to look a little different for a while because I'm getting through this too as a human. Having that empathetic moment with our clients was helpful because we were all experiencing it at once. So let's not deny that this is new for everyone. And something that, depending on the client and the situation, because boundaries of myself is always judging how much I share about my personal life with a client based on circumstances of the client. Sometimes I'll share about my caregiver experiences with clients who are specifically caregivers, because so often we're not 
told about this experience of life of caregiving for others and the burnout that happens from it. And then as Tyler mentioned in his segment, just that idea of in my profession, it's exhausting at times and how we kind of take care of ourselves. I even have clients ask like, how do you do it at the end of the day? It can't be easy hearing everything. It's like, well, we're trained to do it. We've gone through schools and lectures about how to leave it at work and it's easier some days and it's harder others days. And I think another key point of all of this is not isolating ourselves in those experiences and go talk to people if you're feeling burnt out or stressed from a caregiving role or even if it's as simple as you feel like you're the person in your family that carries everything go talk to people about that talk to your friends be honest with them let them know that it's been a stressful week and it's okay to say that you're not weak it takes a lot of strength to say those words even if we feel exhausted in the process so yeah jamie burnout it's real <laughs> absolutely so tell me why you chose jamie well you did grab owen right away but i honestly wasn't thinking about owen but no, then the next totally. question was like who at the end of the show remembers everything that happened and is not dead owen and jamie owen and jamie it. yeah because the kids don't remember they even say like as they grew up they forgot about the events because they were possessed most of the time yeah um and everyone else is pretty dead um and <laughs> kind of little. thinking when i originally watched this like i wasn't like the scary scenes were scary there's ghosts it goes boo in the night sometimes but i cried from the love story of this show yeah this this was more of, of a love story to me than it was a haunted house story oh absolutely and it was beautifully moving and touching and their love story it hit hard and personal for me I have like again that comparison of just like mental degeneration I've had family members with different cognitive disorders and it it sucks to go through and watch and caregive for and having her love story so beautifully like shown out on on the show in the lens of a horror movie I really touched and liked because I don't normally like love stories that way but I think because it was hidden behind a a spooky show I was like yes let's do this um yeah she's and she's a really cool character she has a lot of depth and a really really interesting backstory and you just feel so bad for her at the end too like she's lost so much and also has loved so hard yeah no that is uh Mike Flanagan pretty much is you want to let's get scared sorry we're gonna get real sad instead right. sorry real forgot. sad oops oops I forgot uh right. I think I said that on the uh the haunting of Hill House episode mm-hmm. as well but that is just kind of his mo but he does it in such a way that's so beautiful and I think you know the thing that sticks to me from Jamie and Danny's story the thing that pops out as you were talking is this the scene in the water right yeah. where it's you know but Danny would never do that. She loved Jamie too much. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, you know, Danny sacrifices herself so that Jamie can have a normal life. Right. So that way the, you know, this whole circle of the hauntings of this place comes to an end. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's great. It's right. a really beautiful way of talking about this human experience of grief and love and loss and, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of really human stuff in the guise of ghosts right 
when we were talking about back in October, like our, our spooky themed episodes and the other, what's the manor? What's their I, name? Uh, Hill House. Hill House. Thank you. Yeah. When we were talking about Hill House and Blind Manor came up as well as, oh, do we want to do both at the same time? I was like, no, no, no. haha, We should do it as our like Valentine's Day themed February love month because it's a better love story than Twilight. And then that's why I thought Twilight previous episode yeah. was such a good choice of the the supernatural love stories but one's yeah and this one's like oh so good (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i i uh, i don't know if i could sit through and watch it again but it's so good i'm maybe be doing that right now i'm on episode (laughs) three i can't watch spooky stuff alone i'm such a chicken (laughs) Uh, i think i do better sometimes spooky alone that way i'm not getting judged for my reactions to said spooky (laughs) that's just because we have a friend that judges people who react to films right and tv who eventually we need to get guesting on this podcast because she's licensed now so let's we need to get her on here yes absolutely and embarrass the crap out of her more than anything else (laughs) yes so um, we, I, I have ideas for that. So I think, I think guests are in our future anyway. So I think so. You too. guys can I, all look forward to that. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, we've you, been talking about it for a while. It's time. We've been going for a, a couple years now. I think it's time to bring in some fresh voices, but not right away. I don't think we need to. We need to talk. We need to plan. But yes, uh-huh. but in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, something to look forward to. I would say probably this year. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Sometime in 2022, you will hear a voice on this podcast other than the two of us. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yes. And until right. then. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll wrap this one up. You did the last one. You know, we thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you could, it would be really awesome if you told your friends. It'd be even awesomer if you left a review. It'd be even cooler if you followed us on Instagram at Stories with Shrinks. Or you could do all three and just be super cool think that that would be very very helpful for us uh i know i'd appreciate it so absolutely yes so if you could do all those things if you're on spotify you can answer our question on spotify uh, i have that option activated now and i get to do that so you can answer the get to know you question i'll go back and check them out if we get any good answers i'll send them to jen she can post them on social media absolutely um and besides that i think just take care everyone take care of each other take care of yourselves it's rough out there sometimes but we you know this we're is here a good time to remember other. that there are people that take care of each other absolutely absolutely thank you all Stories with Shrinks is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com. Mm-hmm.